on down to Big Red. You were made for something great. Hey, let's welcome everybody online. We've got people from all over the world. I love it. I see people are from Italy. One of my favorite, I think my favorite nation in the whole world is Italy. Welcome from Italy. I got a lot of good friends over there from Sierra Leone, Africa, from Costa Rica, from everywhere in the world. So come on, let's give them one more welcome. We're just so glad to have you joining us. I'm really excited about this topic that, uh, that Johnson chose for this, this series called Hearing God because of all the things that, that I've learned over my life as a Christian, probably nothing greater than learning to hear the voice of God. And when I saw, started preparing this message, I started thinking through all the different moments, the, the, the key moments in my life when God started speaking to me. And I started realizing, it almost brought me to tears, I started realizing that basically uh, everything that I've experienced since getting to know God, everything from moving to starting my life over to the person I married to going to Bible school to going into the ministry to starting this church to the vision of this church to this building to this land to everything you see here all came from hearing God. In other words, if I hadn't heard God, maybe none of these things would have ever happened in my life, and maybe you wouldn't even be sitting here. And I, I didn't realize the sequentialness of hearing God and how it, it not only is sequential in your life, but in the life of so many other people. So I sat down and I started thinking through the process, and I realized that of all the ways that I have experienced the voice of God, Probably the number one way is in my prayer life, just hearing God through prayer. And the more I started to journey with God in prayer, the more I began to realize that everybody can hear God. Now, when I was doing this, this Bible study the other day, I was going through my devotions, I came across this little devotion on these two words called transcendence and imminence of God, transcendence and imminence. And it was kind of intriguing to me because it was, there were words that I used to, I remember studying years ago in Bible school, but I forgot what they meant. So I looked them up because I wanted to understand what, what the, the two words meant. So let me just give you the definition so I can give you the context of this. Transcendence means that God exists apart from us, basically. And it's not subject to the limitations of the material universe. And he is above and beyond, surpassing and excelling, greatly superior to us. He's awesome. He's beyond our comprehension. He is the majesty of all time. He's the creator of the universe. And then the word eminence, which kind of brings things closer, which basically means that it's possible to experience an intimate relationship with God. Now think about those two words coming together. This awesome God, this creator of the universe, this, this God who knows everything that, that exists that was beyond even existence that we can't explain with our natural minds or our natural comprehension, the creator of all humanity, the majesty, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and yet somehow this God, this creator, this majestic creator has time to talk to us individually. 
And he can somehow talk to billions of people if, if everyone's connected. He can talk to billions of people at the same time as if they were the only one that existed. That I can get up each day and have a conversation <laughs> with this God and that he looks at me in such a way and cares for me and views me through the lens of someone that he cares about enough to talk to me, to talk to me. When I started to think through that, I began to realize over the years of learning to pray, prayer eventually, if you learn how to pray properly, it moves beyond kind of a duty or an obligation or a ritual to a privilege, to where you actually have a privilege each day to converse with the creator of the universe. And yet, unfortunately, most Christians don't have a very good prayer life. Most Christians don't talk to God on a regular basis, and most Christians, unfortunately, and this is a sad statement, don't hear God. It's not uncommon for me to talk to people on a regular basis who say, I don't hear God. I, I don't hear God very well, or I used to hear God, but I don't hear him anymore. And I don't know how to get back there. I don't know how to get to this place where I hear God. And so I started thinking through my own life, like where did this happen? Where did I start to hear God? And how did I make the connection? And how how did I keep the connection all, all, all these years? And have I had if I had times where I wasn't hearing God, what did I do about it? And how did I get it back? And so on and so forth. All right, so let me take you back because I want you to understand this is this will be helpful, especially if you're new to Victory or you're young in Victory. You may not know the history of this church or the history of where we came from, but let me take you back to about 39 years ago. One of the things I love about the spring is in the spring, I have a history, personal history of hearing major things from God in the spring. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why God chose that season for me, but a lot of my major moves in life happened from words I heard from God in the spring. And I was sitting there, I was about eight months, nine months into my Christianity. I had just met Colleen in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was living in Northern New Jersey at the time with a small business that I had started with my father. And I had just met Colleen. We had just had about two weeks of getting to know each other uh, in early March. And now I was back home from that visit. And I'm sitting there just eating breakfast one morning, eating cereal. And by the way, I'm 63 and I still eat cereal. <laughs> Yay for cereal. And so um, I'm sitting there having cereal. And, I'm, and, I'm, and what my habit was was to read my Bible. I would read my Bible in the morning. And I was just... I wasn't in church. I didn't have a church. I didn't know the value of church. I didn't know a lot of things. I was just very young Christian. And I'm eating my breakfast and then I'm reading some scripture. And then I just start, I pause and I start to, to talk to God. I'm just praying to God. And I hear for the very first time in my life what I consider to be the voice of God. Now, most of the time when we hear God, it starts with an impression or a witness of God. It's something that bears witness in our spirit. But sometimes it, it can graduate into a clear voice. And usually when you hear the voice of God, it's usually about something pretty important, pretty major. 
where the witness is more about confirming a decision you're making or a thought you're having or something that you wanna do. It's not something always that's major, but the voice, when the voice comes, it's usually a major thing. And when I started thinking back over my life, I've had about, probably about eight major words from the Lord, voices of God speaking to me. And this, this particular was the first one. And here's what the Lord said to me. The Lord said, he was talking to me and I, and he's talking to me about my future, and he said, you know the girl that you just met, that, that young girl that you just met in Pittsburgh, here's what he said, she's the one. Now, now let me just tell you this, if you're single and you're dating, let me just give you a little help, give, give you a little help, okay, just further you along. When you're dating, when you're dating, uh, if she's not the one, then you won't hear that. Okay, you won't hear that. And so if you're not hearing that after a while, like you've been dating for a while, and you're not hearing that, you might wanna move on. Now, the sad thing is that sometimes our feelings tell us they're the ones, not necessarily God telling us they're the ones. And the other person, unfortunately, didn't get that word. Are you listening? And so we just think our feelings are God. And, and so we might go and tell that person that they're the one, and that, that, that's, that pretty much seals the deal. They're not the one at that point. So I, I heard the Lord say, she's the one, but don't tell her. Don't make that announcement. Just hide it in your heart and go after her, pursue her. Because she was living in Pittsburgh. I was living in New Jersey. How are you going to make this work? And so I, I heard that. And then I heard the Lord say this, and this was the clear voice. I want you to sell your business and I want you to move to Richmond, Virginia, and I want you to join this little church that I had visited one time when I was in Richmond. I want you to join this little church and help this pastor get his church going. And I remember as I heard this word, it was, I was new, I was young, I was, for whatever reason, and I think sometimes this is what separates people from hearing God, because some people don't do this, but for whatever reason, I had this in me that when I heard this word, I knew immediately I had to do something. Not just hear it, not think about it, I need to do something. So immediately I got up, I walked into the living room where my father was, and I said, Dad, I gotta talk to you. I said, I just feel like I heard the Lord say to me, and I, and I know this is gonna sound crazy, and, it, and it's not gonna be, because my dad was not a believer. I said, it's not gonna sound right to you, but I, I need to sell my part portion of the business back to you, and I need to move to Richmond, Virginia. And I was fully expecting him to be upset or thinking I'm a foolish person or whatever, and instead he just says, well, he says, Dennis, he said, sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. And I remember that, that, that sounds right. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And so I immediately started the process. It was about a two-month process of selling this business. Well, in this process, I also, I also asked the Lord, how am I going to pursue this relationship with, with this girl that I just met? And, and I heard the Lord say to me, he said, because she's the one, here's what he said, you'll find a way. And let me, let me just say this also. This is just a good word for the ladies here. It's a good word. When a man who knows the Lord hears the Lord tell him the right way, he has a devotional life and the Lord speaks to him, no matter what the obstacles, no matter what the distance, no matter what the problems are, he will 
find a way. He will find a way. And if he can't find a way, he's not the one. Did you hear what I just said? And he's the one who has to find the way because the Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing. It doesn't say the wife finds the husband. It says the husband finds the wife and he finds a good thing. And too many men are not trying to find a wife. They're, too out, they're out there partying, messing around, doing stupid things, and that's why they're still single. And the wives and the women are out there like, when are these men going to get this revelation? So anyway, I found a way. I found a way. And here's, here's the way I did. I called her up. I said, hey, Colleen. I said, I know we just met. I know we just, we just dated. And by the way, I, I, knew she, I knew she was the one because when I had our first date, our first date, I, I'm, I'm a new Christian, so I don't know much about the Lord. I'm a new Christian. I don't know not to date a non-saved person. She's not saved. I, date, I take her out on a date, but we were with another guy, so it was, we were, you know, it was three of us. It was a threesome date. It was like we went to a movie. We went to, to eat, out to eat, and, and then we got back, and I, I took her outside, just the two of us, and I started talking to her about my relationship with the Lord, and I led her to the Lord on our first date, and so I knew I, could, I, can't, I can't be with somebody who does not have the same passion and, des and desire for God that I have. And so if she's the one, she's got to match that passion. Did you hear what I just said, guys and gals? I mean, why, look, why would I date somebody who I got to drag along with me to follow the Lord? If you're dragging them, you need to let them go. I said, you need to let them go. In fact, I said, Lord, I don't need to drag them. I need them to run with me just at the same pace. And what I didn't realize is I had somebody that was running faster after she got saved than I was. I had to run to keep up with her, which is the kind of wife you want. So I said, I, 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 I called her up and I said, can you come and visit me in New York? I, I want to see you again. So I paid and flew her to New York and we spent a little time together. And then I said, I'm moving to Richmond. I just felt like the Lord told me to move to Richmond. Would you come down and, and visit, be with me so it help me find an apartment and, 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 and visit with me? I've got a friend that you can stay with and we can, and we can get to know each other a little bit. So she came down and the Lord spoke to her about moving there as well, separate from me. She had no idea that I was really serious about her at that point, but she got saved. She started going to the church that I was going to. She got filled with the Holy Spirit, and so she got as passionate about God as I did. And the rest, can I say 38 years later in April, is history. Now, here's what the Lord said to me. He said, you need to understand that to hear me, there are some principles. There are some principles that you need to put in place in your life that once you put them in place, listen to me carefully, you will hear my voice clearly when no one else is hearing me. One of the things that separates people, separates Christians, is their ability to hear God. All right, so let me, let me go through these three things that the Lord said to me. All right, the first thing he said to me is, if you're going to hear me, you're gonna to have to make God your highest priority and highest pursuit. Highest priority and highest pursuit. All right, so, so 
One of the things that concerns me right now about the church is when COVID hit, COVID started right about this time a year ago. And once it started and it became a, a, a big problem in society where you couldn't congregate or gather, churches kind of shut down for a season and then they came back together. But for a lot of people, for most people, and a lot of you are watching online, haven't been back to church in a year. You have not physically been back to a church in, a, in about a year. And as a result, what happens is when you kind of pull away and, and, and you're just watching a line, you're doing the best you can, you're trying to stay strong, but you're not really having that worship experience, what can happen is you can start to drift. And I would say that there's probably a lot of you watching right now that if I were to get into your personal day-to-day -day routine, there's probably, there's probably something that's taken place over the last year that has taken you out of this prioritizing God in your life. And it's not uncommon for that to happen when you get out of fellowship. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. And he was talking to people back in that day that were living through plagues, through persecution. If they went to church, they could be killed, martyred, and yet they still went to church. I mean, we don't go to church for a lot of other reasons than that. And so, anyway, so I'm thinking through this, and, and the Lord started saying to me, he said, okay, when you read the Bible, when Jesus starts talking to the, to the believers, he starts talking about this relationship that we have with him. And one of the things that he does, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, is he focuses a lot on this concept of worrying about life. And he says, why are you worrying about life? Why are you fretting? Why are you living so much in fear? He says, you worry about what you're gonna wear. You worry about whether you're gonna have money. You worry about your clothing. You worry about your food. You worry about all these things. He said, this is what the world is always worried about. And he said, you need to get yourself into a place where you're not worrying because worrying is always a sign that you're distant from God. It's always a sign you're not up close. And what happens with worry is worry is also, it should be an alarm inside of you that you started to move away from trusting God and now you're trusting in everything else. You're trusting in the news, you're trusting in fear, you're trusting in other people's opinions, you're instead of trusting in God. So then he makes this incredible statement that rocked my world in the early days of my Christianity that changed me forever in Matthew chapter six in verse 33. It's a simple statement, but it's a powerful, profound statement. Here's what he says. But seek first, everybody say first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that you're looking for, everything that you need, everything that you could ever want will be added to you. And the Lord said to me, he said, the reason why so many Christians struggle is because here's what they do with God. They have, there's, there's two kinds of Christians, if I could say it this way. There are Christians who have a relationship where God is added to that relationship. They add God to that relationship. Two kinds of followers, I, could, I guess you could call it. It's an addition to their life. Uh, I, I, you're a part of my life. You, I'm, I'm putting you into my life. I, I, you know, I, I talk to you, I walk with you, and, and, and you're part of who I am. And then there are other people who view God as their primary pursuit in life. That their whole pursuit is built around God. 
It's not an addition. It's not something they add to their life. It's not something they build on their old foundation of their past. It's something that their whole life revolves around. It's like where Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ Jesus that lives inside of me. It's where Jesus said, if you're going to find your life, you have to be willing to lose this life here and adopt the life with Christ. In other words, now it's all about you, God. It's all about you. First is God. And first, let me, can I give you the definition of first? Let me give you the definition. I'm going to make it real simple for you. Let me give you the definition of first. First means first. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you were to ask yourself, do I put God first? Most Christians would say no. If you get up, here's how you know. Here's how you know. What was your routine like this morning? What was it like this morning? What's your routine gonna be like tomorrow morning? For some people, their routine looks like this. Whatever's first. It could be what's first is I need to get my clothes and get ready for work and work is, is first. For others, it could be my children are first. I gotta get with my children. I gotta take care of my children. The children are first. For others, it could be I, I, I need to get on the computer and read the news. I need to see what's going on on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. I need to see what's going on in social media. For some people, their friends are first. A lot of people have first. Very few people, really few people in the body of Christ put God first. Usually, most people's devotional life looks like when I get around to it. If I have some time, I'll read the Bible. If I have some time, or maybe at the end of the day, I'll look at the Bible or I'll pray. And the reason why many Christians are struggling to hear God is because they have no devotional life. They have really no devotional life. It's really not consistent. And the Lord said to me, he said, the separating factor in hearing God or not hearing God is tied directly into how you treat your devotional life. And then he gave me this image and he says, my devotional life is a direct reflection of my life with God where I place God in my life. And he said, the same is true if you wanna look at it from a natural perspective is marriage. Marriage is the closest thing that we can talk about in our relationship with God. Now, if you've been married, you understand that when you get married, one of the killers of marriage is starting to take each other for granted and to start letting that relationship kind of grow stale. And so what's hard about marriage is you're, you're all excited in the dating relationship. You want to spend time with each other. You're thinking about one another. You date each other. You do the best you can. You're on your best behavior. You look the best. You, you speak the best. You, you do all those things. And then you get married. And some reason, like, you just kind of just put all that on the shelf. And for men especially, it's like, I conquered that. Now what's next? And for women, it's like, this is just beginning. And you have this dichotomy in the relationship where the husband thinks it's over and the wife thinks it's just starting and they don't understand in order to have a, a really intimate relationship, you've got to pursue that person for the rest of your life. Now, what I didn't know back 39 years ago is when God said, she's the one, what I didn't know was outside of my choice for serving God and believing in God and, and living for God, that was going to be the second most important decision that you will ever make in your life. That relational decision is the second most important decision you ever make in your life. You don't take it lightly. 
But when you make the right one, when you choose well by the voice of God, when you choose well, it will double the power of your life. Two are better than one. And so now <laughs> we're about to celebrate our 38th year of, of, of marriage in April. April 30th is to be our 38th year. But it was about this time, 39 years ago, when God said, she's the one. And we pursued each other for that year. And then the Lord said, after we got married, he said, now for the rest of your life, you put me first, put me first, because if you start to have problems here, the reason you're having problems here in your marriage is because you're having a problem here. And what happens is a sad thing. If you're having marital problems, let me just help you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save you thousands of dollars in counseling, okay? I'm gonna save you thousands of dollars. If you're having a problem in your marriage, can I tell you something? You're having a problem with God. You're having a problem. No, no, I'm having a problem. No, yes, you are. Because this is always determined by this. And if you wanna fix this, you can counsel till the cows come home. That's an old colloquial saying from the South. Till the cows come home, you can count, you can spend thousands of dollars, you can talk to all your friends, you can look at every video, read every book, you can do all the things. But I can tell you right now, if you don't fix this with God, this'll never be what it needs to be. It'll never be what it needs to be. But when you have God as your highest pursuit and your highest passion, this thing will be so dynamic, so powerful, and listen to me carefully, and you'll hear God you'll hear God. So when people say, I'm not hearing God, here's what I know, here's what I know. Listen to me, listen to me. You're not pursuing God. And some of you are not pursuing God and you're waiting for God to fix that. And God's like waiting for you. And, and, and I'm gonna tell you something, God will outwait you. <laughs> you're waiting for God and God is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's not, he didn't do anything to leave you. He, he wants to pursue you. He wants to be with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to have an intimate, imminence relationship with you. The creator of the universe wants to love you, be with you, guide you, counsel you, do all those things. But you have to want him. You have to want to spend time with him and pursue him first. And I know some of you mothers are saying, but I have little children. I have no time. Listen, when we had Lauren, when she was a baby, we were going to Bible school. We had to be at Bible school at eight o'clock. And then when it was over at one, I had to have quick lunch and then go to work until nine o'clock and then study after that and get up and start that cycle all over again. And yet somehow I managed to get up in the morning before my children, my child got up, before my, even my wife got up, and I'd get in the Bible and I would pray and I would get my day established to let God know you, I'm not using my child as an excuse. I'm not using my wife as an excuse. I'm not using Bible school as an excuse. I'm not using I'm tired as an excuse. I'm not using all this busyness in my life. I'm not using, so. Uh, thankfully we didn't have social media back then, but I'm not using social media as an excuse. I'm not sitting there. I see more Christians spend more time figuring out what they're gonna say on social media than they do reading the Bible or praying. Reading nonsense, foolishness, 
getting off on these sidetracks with YouTube and videos and everything else. Before you know it, they've sat there for two hours looking at nothing but foolishness and wondering why they can't hear God. Are y'all all right? All right, so the first one's highest pursuit is God, putting from number one, number two, you gotta learn to listen. This is gonna sound real simple, but it's not. Learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the voice of God, the voice of God is the Holy Spirit. He is the voice of God. He is the person of God that is in the earth today. Now, not only is he in the earth, but when you receive Christ, now check this out, he's in you. He lives in you. The voice of God lives inside of you when you receive Christ. So that's why it's easier for a Christian, obviously, to hear God because he lives inside. He's taking up residence inside of you. And so the voice of the Holy Spirit starts with this understanding. And this, was, this is a little plaque that my wife got and she put it in our kitchen so that I would read it every morning. When I get up in the morning, my, my, my first thing is I go, I turn the coffee maker on, I take my probiotics, you know, and then I go and I start to make my coffee, but there's this little thing and I look at it every morning. And here's what it says at Psalms 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. And every day I, I reminded myself you know, sometimes you just have a hard time with this, but sometimes you just need to be still. One of the reasons that we don't hear the voice of God is we're not still. We got too many things going on up here or in this, and we're just not still. We don't take time to be still. So I'm reading the Bible one day, this is many years ago, and I started noticing a trending in the teachings of Jesus. As Jesus is preparing the church for his departure and he's talking to his disciples, one of the constant themes, especially in the book of John, is this theme of the Holy Spirit. And he's trying to tell them, he says, now I'm going to leave and I'm going to depart, but when, I'm leave, when I leave, I'm going to leave you a helper, a helper, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, he is, is a part of me and I'm a part of him. We are a part of the triune God. But he is the agent of God or the part of God that I'm leaving. He's going to be here on the earth and he's going to do some things for you. And here's what he said in John chapter 16 in verse 12. Here's what he says. There's so much more that I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. There are a lot of things that God wants to say to us. Now listen to me carefully. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you want to say some things to them, but you know they can't hear them right now? And, and you feel for them because you know, boy, if they could just hear this, it could really help them. But you know that if, they, if you talk to them, it's either going to go through one ear or out the other, or their pride will keep you from really speaking into their life, or they won't value your words or whatever. So you just don't talk. You just don't say anything because you know they're just not ready to hear that right now. Well, this is what the Lord was saying. He said, there's many things I want to tell you, but you, you can't hear them right now. You can't bear it. But when the spirit of truth comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. Now, I don't know about you, but... <laughs> If there is one thing that will change your life forever is if you start to know about the future. If you start to understand what's coming. Because if you can understand what's coming, 
If you can understand what's coming in the stock market, if you can understand what's coming in politics, if you can understand what's coming in society, if you can understand what's coming in technology, if you can understand what's coming in relational equity, if you can understand what's coming to the church, you can start to prepare yourself for what's coming and be ahead of the game. Would you agree with that? But most Christians, most of us are living reactionary lives to what's already come, what's already happening. We're living in the past for what happened in the past instead of what's coming in the future. So he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you some things. He's going to show you. He's going to speak to you about things that are coming to prepare you for the future. Talked to me about my wife before I married her. He talked to me about ministry. He talked to me many years before I ever came to Atlanta about this church. But I'll never forget in 1990 when we started this church with six people in a daycare center. And I was out on my back porch one, one morning and I was praying and I was asking God, what is it that you want this church to be about? What's the vision of this church that you want us to be about? He, he took me to Acts chapter one, verse eight, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, and you're gonna be a witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And he said, those four areas, obviously you don't live in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, those four areas, I'm gonna reveal to you the vision of the church through those four areas. And I remember, I remember just talking with the Lord and he was talking to me about it. And I remember having this conversation like, are you telling me to build the church on these four pillars that are the last words of Jesus? The very last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven were those words. And I said, help me to hear what those words are. And he said to me, he said, first of all, Jerusalem is your family. And he said, look at the state of the family. And he said, this is in 1990. He said, it's gonna get really bad going forward in the future. He said, you're gonna see less and less people getting married. You're gonna see more and more people falling into different sexual orientations. You're gonna see all kinds of uh, confusion about people's identities and sexual identities. You're gonna see all kinds of problems with marriages, even being a part of the nuclear family. You're gonna see more single parent families. You're gonna see more people, uh, you know, guys and guys adopting children, girls and girls adopting children, all kinds of things taught in the school. This is in 1990, way before any of this was really happening. And he said, you've got to start right now building a church that really strengthens the family that the Bible talks about through marriage, through the nuclear family. Then he said, the community around you is your Judea. And he said, too much of the church is a building people go to instead of a life they live in the community and they don't make a difference in the community. He said, every church is created to transform the community, not just transform the people that sit in a chair in the church, but transform the community to make a difference. So when that church is there, it matters. It's not a building on the side of the road. It's a lifestyle people live interacting with their daily life inside the community. They're changing the community around them and that's the kind of church you are to be. And then he said, Samaria is other cultures. And he said, for too long, the church has been the segregated thing. Martin Luther King says 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. And we're looking at 1990. In 1990, Gwinnett County was 90% white. 
90% white. There was nothing on the horizon that said this is going to be the second most multicultural county in America in 2021. Nothing could show us that. Nothing prepared us for that. No pastor thought that was going to happen. But in 1990, God said, this is going to change. And in Atlanta, it's going to become a multi-ethnic, multi-melting pot of nations from all over the world. And he said, things are going to happen, which I, I couldn't foresee in 96. The Olympics would bring the world to Atlanta and change the whole transformation of our city and the dynamics of our city where the nations would come together. And he said, you're going to build a church that's going to reach over over a hundred nations. And I remember thinking a hundred nations. I don't know of any church in 1990 that's even think of four or five nations coming together and especially blacks and whites in the history of slavery in the South. How is that going to happen? And he said, if that doesn't happen in the church, fast forward into the future and you're going to see young people leaving the church in groves over racism. They're going to think the church is a racially insensitive place, could care less about other cultures. They're all about their culture, and they're going to build their churches on politics and on race baiting and all these kinds of things and separation and segregation of each other, and it's going to get really bad in the future, and you have to prepare yourself for the future of the church and build this church about reconciling culture together. I could not even see that but God was showing it to me through prayer by the Holy Spirit. Now, fast forward 31 years later, 143 nationalities, the most multicultural church in America. And, and we are now positioned, we are in essence a future church. <laughs> and missions are all over the world was the, was the fourth one. And I won't have time, take time to get into that. But then the Lord said to me, he said, one of the things that you're going to have to understand is the future of the church is not, to, is not going to be like it is today. He said, right now, it's antiquated already, even to the days of Jesus, because now it has limited women in church. It has placed this lid on women because of a couple of scriptures that Paul talked about, which was dealing with cultural happenings back in the day when women were not educated and they would come into services and they would break out in questions because they were so curious because first time in the world, their life that they were being included in the service, they were allowed to ask questions and they're just, ladies, you're curious and you wanted to ask questions and you were disrupting the service back then. So Paul was addressing that. He says, ask your husband at home so we can have church. So we're not spending the whole church service answering your questions. And what we've done is we fast forwarded 2,000 years later and said, women can't speak in church. They can't teach men. What? Well, I happened to meet a woman 39, year, 38, 39 years ago that has taught me a lot of stuff. And I, and I was thinking, what if I had that mentality? You can't teach me. You can't teach me anything. I'm a man. You're a woman. You can't teach me anything. Oh, my goodness. Men, you know good and well that women know stuff you don't know. You know they know stuff you don't know. In fact, women have a tendency to be a little more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit than men. Men sometimes are kind of, uh, they're too busy watching sports to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, so they need their wives to be the echo of the Holy Spirit. Are y'all following me? 
The future of the church involves women just as much as it does men. Women will be in prominent places of leadership. Women can speak to men. Women can lead. Women can teach. And you take half the church and put it together with the other half and you have a powerful church. But when you have churches limiting women and you can only sit in a Sunday school class and you have to look a certain way and maintain a certain way and always be submissive. My wife is a very strong woman, but she's also very submitted. She's also very submitted. She's not a brash. She's not arrogant. She doesn't try to control me. If she does, then we have a, we have a come to Jesus meeting and we, and we get back to the Bible. But, but my wife is not that way. All I have to say to my wife when we get in heated arguments, honey, what does, let's go back to the word. What is Jesus telling us to do in this situation? And she is so submitted to Jesus. She, she brings her emotions back under check. And even though she's very frustrated with me, because I've probably done something really stupid, <laughs> most men do stuff, listen, ladies, just help me. Most men do stuff they have no clue they did. <laughs> and so don't, 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 don't say to them, you know what you did. They don't know. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't know. I know you think I know. I, think you have, I know you think you have a word from the Lord that I know, but <laughs> I really don't know. You're, I'm a little dull right now. You're going to have to tell me what I'm doing wrong. So you have to learn. And so what the Lord said to me, he said, this, this value of the voice of the Holy Spirit is very simple. When you're in prayer, you're putting God first. You're having this daily dialogue with God first. You're inviting the Holy Spirit every day. Invite Holy Spirit. Listen, to me. It's, not real, it's not rocket science. Speak to me. Speak to me, guide me, lead me, correct me, challenge me, empower me. Everything I am is connected to you, Holy Spirit. All right. And then finally, and then the third thing, not finally, the third thing, you have to balance the voice of God with the written word of God. And this is important because so many of us, we've, we've just gone through a, a prophetic season during this election cycle where there's all these prophecies about who's gonna be the president and blah, 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 and then it didn't come to pass. And suddenly all these prophets are egg on their face and they're having to backpedal and try to dance around the fact that they gave a false prophecy. And a lot of their false prophecy had to do with what people wanted to hear in their circles. And even to this day, you have Christians, oh, it's going to change. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Trump's going to be the president. Not in this cycle. I'm just telling you right now. Let me prophetically say that to you. It's not going to happen. But part of the problem is, part of the challenge is that is we put way too much emphasis on prophetic words and overemphasize them over the actual written word. All right, so, so right, this is a tweetable tweet right here. Right, get this. God never says anything that doesn't agree with what he's already said. It has to have an agreement with what, I, what he's already said. So there is nothing in scripture that gives you a license not to pray for whatever president we have and lift them up before the Lord, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican. And there's certainly nowhere in the scripture that it tells you to deify a leader in a nation as though they're the answer to societal's ills. When you start to do that, you make them an idol. And this is what's happening. We've literally made presidents Christian idols. 
And <laughs> unfortunately, we bought into this whole Christian nationalism thing, American nationalism thing, that we've made it all about America. America is God's chosen nation that God's gonna do all these great things through as if we've done something special. The only thing special about this nation is at one time we used to submit to God. There was a season where we submitted to God. We made a lot of mistakes in the founding of this nation, which we're now trying to correct, but we had some people who actually believed in God in the founding of this country. And what we, the only way that our nation is gonna turn back is like Chronicle says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and then I will hear their land, heal their land, amen? All right, so you gotta hear, you gotta measure it by the word, and then finally, You've got to act on what you hear. Act on what you hear. Now, there's a scripture where, it was kind of my life scripture, and I'll finish with this. It was my life scripture in 19, uh, let's see, it was 1982 when I first started reading the Bible. And I remember I read that scripture and I went, wow, man, if every Christian could just get that scripture it would make such a difference in the life of their, of their life. And it, it became my life scripture. In fact, when we wrote the vision of this church, I remember putting it at the very top of our, of our vision statement, this is the scripture that we're gonna, is gonna guide us. It's James, in the book of James, chapter one. And it starts in 22, and here's what it says. But don't just listen to God's word. Don't, you know, hear, if you hear God say something or you read something, don't just listen to it. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves and for if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at a, your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. <clears throat> I'm thinking about this whole history of victory. I would think about that scripture and I think to myself, what would have happened if in 1982, when God, or 1983, no, 1982, when God spoke to me, two major things, I want you to sell your business, move to Richmond and start helping this pastor and I want you to marry that woman. What would have happened if I just disobeyed that word? If I just said, no, I don't wanna do that right now. I'm not ready to that. I'm not ready to hear that right now. Or I hear it, God, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it off for a while. The sequentialness of acting on the word of God down through the ages has a multiplying effectiveness on literally thousands and thousands of people. Now we're on the other side of that, 39 years on the other side of that, 38 years, well, 38 years on the other side of that. And I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> you, you now have the ex beautiful experience of knowing that one obedience leads to another obedience, leads to another obedience. Eventually, after years of obeying the word and acting on the word, it produces something that's way, way bigger than your talent way bigger than your abilities, way bigger than your education, your skills, 
I'm just a good old Southern boy, grew up in a dirt road in McDonough, Georgia. I, I, I don't have a high education. I'm not a doctor or a master. And anybody that calls themselves a doctor, but it's just some kind of, uh, you know, uh, honorary doctorate. I'm not a, I, I don't call that a doctorate. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a master of theo- theology. I've found a lot of those people are very impressive with their words, but not very impressive with their actions. They do a lot of speaking without a lot of acting. And what I've found is that the simplicity of the gospel is not about how much you know, it's how much you do with what you know. It's will you take what you know and actually do something? Will you take a step of faith and do something that God's calling you to do? Are you going to keep standing back waiting? Waiting. And I found that the more faithful you are to act on the word, it just sequentially begins to build until the favor of God starts to multiply in your life. And you start to see the hand of God on you. And then you start to hear God when no one else, when no one else is hearing him, when no one else is hearing him. Thousands of people around you are regurgitating the daily news or their politics or their social media platform or, or, or what they heard somebody teach them in school. They're regurgitating the problems of society day, out, day in and day out, but they're doing nothing to solve it. God did not put you on this earth to absorb information. He put you on this earth to transform the word that you have from God into action. And the more you step out in faith and do what God called you to do, the more you're going to accomplish what God put you on this earth for. Here's what I know about the Lord. The Lord says in his word that before you were ever born, I knew you. I had a plan for you that is good and not evil. I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you would ever come into existence and you are not brought into this earth to not make a difference. You are brought into this earth to transform the world that's around you. You're you're here to be salt, to be light, to be the power of Christ reflected everywhere you go. And I'm going to talk with you on a daily basis and I'm going to guide you. And when you need counsel, I'm going to counsel you. And when you need power, I'm going to empower you. And when you need strength, when you're weak, I'm going to strengthen you. And when I, whatever you need, I'm going to do it for you. If you start to hear my voice, but not just hear my voice, but act on it. Now, those of you that have children know this. You tell your child over and over again, don't do this, don't do that, and they keep doing it, eventually you know you just gotta let them experience the result. You just gotta let them experience the result. At some point, you wanna save them, but at some point, you're just wasting your breath. You're trying to train your children to listen to you, not just to hear you, but to act on what you tell them to do, right? That's God. God knows what you're going to do. He knows your mistakes. He knows your lack of of understanding of of real wisdom. So he says, all right, I've got this thing. I've got this, this thing called my voice. And it comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. And I will guide you and I will lead you. But you've got to do this. When I speak, when I speak, you obey. I want to close with this thought. Years ago, when I was in Bible school, I was listening to a pastor of the largest church in the world at the time, David Yonke Cho. At the time, he was pastoring 
church of 887,000 people. They have almost 40 services a week. You had, you know, how you have to register now to come online to go to, go to church now. Every person had to register to get into a service. No mass. They had to register, and it could be Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. It could be Tuesday night at 8 a.m., 8 p.m., but you had that one service that you were able to go to because they just had too many people going to church. Wouldn't y'all like to have that problem? So they asked him this question. They said, Pastor Cho, how did you get this church to become the largest church in the world? How were you so successful in doing this? And here's what he said. He said, it's a very simple answer. This is it. He said, I pray and I obey. Let's say that together. I pray and I obey. Now, what would happen if this church did that? What would happen if you prayed, God spoke to you, and you obeyed him? You just literally obeyed him. All right? So tomorrow morning is your test. Tomorrow morning is your test. Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday. La, 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 la. So good to me. Come on. Everybody thinks of Monday as the start of the week. You know what the start of the week is? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. That's why we give God first. We give God our first on Sunday. All right? So Monday is your first day of work, generally speaking. Monday, you get up. What are you gonna do tomorrow morning? You just heard the word. <laughs> you just heard, come on, you just heard it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Oh yeah, but I have this, this, I got this going on. Huh? You wanna keep, keep going where you're going? Go ahead, go ahead. Just keep going where you're going. But if you wanna hear God speak, you're gonna have to change your routine. You're gonna have to change it. <laughs> I'm not a morning person. I'm not an evening, I don't, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a, it doesn't matter what you're a morning person or an evening, let me tell you how to be a morning person, go to bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> Quit staying up till midnight looking at social media, watching videos, doing stupid things, watching dumb movies, Hallmark movies. <laughs> Y'all been watching too many Hallmark movies, building these fantasies of romance inside of you that you're never gonna have. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Get up in the morning, tomorrow morning. Early will I seek thee. Start to worship God. Start to pray. Read the Bible. Start to pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to come in and guide you. Give you some word for the day. Can I just tell you something? If you're determined to act on what he says, listen to me carefully. He will speak to you tomorrow morning. So let's bow our heads right now. Let's invite him right now to speak to us. Some of you haven't heard from him in a while, so let's, let's uh, kind of be still for a moment. Let's give him a moment now. Lord, <clears throat> as, we, as we kind of rally our hearts around this word right now, my first prayer is that you would help us internally be broken about this. And if, if we've not put you first, if we've not really made you the value of our heart, we've just kind of added you on, 
that you'd help us to be broken about that, to be repentant, to turn from that casual, lethargic, average Christianity and turn back to our first love, to come back into a dynamic communion with you first. And Jesus, for some of us, we've been struggling for a while to hear you. So I'm asking you now, let this just be a precursor. Let this message just serve as a precursor to breaking the dullness off of our hearing. Breaking the fog off of our heart. And just help us to now open our hearts back up to this incredible, transcendent God who wants to be our imminent friend. And Lord, we invite you now Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and and do that. Start that work in us. And let's say this. Let's make a confession with our mouth. Let's say this together. Jesus, right now, I just repent for anything in my life, lifestyle, that I've elevated above you. And I ask you to forgive me. You're first. My relationships are not first. My children are not first. My job is not first. You're first. And so today, today, God, I humble myself. I come back to you to renew my first love with you. Today, I wanna start this journey of hearing you in my prayers. And I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to me every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Let's just lift our hands now and just surrender that to the Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Now, some of us need guidance right now. Some of us will need it in the days to come. We invite you to come now, Holy Spirit. Show us things to come. Guide us strengthen us, comfort us, empower us, whatever we need, God. You are the voice of God. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you.